0: As usual I asked our guest Rich Rebar to pound the table for someone this offseason. Rich, who you pounded the table for? Uh right now I could say that the, the guy I've drafted the most, because I, I try not to glom onto specific players too much. But the guy I've been drafting the most easily so far to this point of early June has been Jerry Judy. Uh I mean, we need Drew Locke to not play, but I mean just when you look at Jerry <laughs> Judy's rookie season, I mean there was a lot there was a lot of pros. All the targets were there. Uh you know, just he was second till the dead last and catchable target rate. Uh, amongst all NFL wide receivers behind AJ green. He really only had one terrible game and it was late in the season, uh, against the chargers. That was really one it was a self-sabotage, but if we can get Teddy Bridgewater to play, I mean, Denver as a totality had the lowest amount of catchable targets as a team, you know, outside of drew lock that, you know, they started drift, just Jeff Driscoll game, uh, And uh, they started another terrible quarterback, too. Brett Rippian is who they started, too. He he had a start in there as well. I remember in that that awesome Thursday night game when Sam Darnold had that ridiculous Konami run that came out of just nowhere. Uh, But Jerry Judy's been the guy I've been drafting the most to this point. We'll see if it really moves. I know a lot of people are still scared off by Drew Locke, but especially if Teddy starts. And I don't think Teddy's going to be, like, on the bench for long because the style is just so conducive to a defensive minded head coach, uh, especially with these practice sports. We've already seen of drew lock already turning the ball over and pressing. And the Broncos have no ties to drew Locke This guy wasn't drafted in the first 10 picks or anything. He was drafted in the second round. He's making a million dollars. Like they, there's no reason to say that they are, they're obligated to play him either. But uh, that's kind of the guy I've been drafting the most so far.
1: I love it. I love it. Available in the seventh round on Underdog right now. And Teddy B put up some good numbers for DJ Moore and Robbie Anderson last uh, last year, which is great. Uh, awesome. Straight from Lord Reeves himself. Go get you some Jerry Judy now. Let's get to the show. Welcome everyone to The Most Accurate Podcast. I am your humble host, Brandon Niles. My co-host today is the fantastic Chris Allen. Chris, how you doing, buddy?
2: I'm doing great. I'm really excited to get a chance to sit down and talk with both you and Rich this afternoon, my Ohio brethren. Uh, But yeah, let's, let's get on to it, man.
1: Yeah, I'm excited. We're going to talk to uh, the AFC North Division. Uh, As you mentioned, we're pumped to have Rich Rebar on the pod today. You can find Rich on Twitter, at Lord and check out all his awesome content over at Sharp Football Analysis. Uh, Rich is one of the best in the business using data and analytics to create actionable fantasy advice. We're excited for the chance to chat with him. Uh, Rich, thanks so much for joining us. How are you doing today?
0: I'm doing great guys I mean we've been trying to get this together for a couple weeks here I'm glad we finally found a time slot for us all to get together and talking about the AFC North which is you know arguably might be the best division in football yeah yeah,
1: it, it, it looks really, really interesting. All those teams look good and fun to watch, and like there's a lot of fantasy production there. Uh, before we get into that, I do want to ask you a quick question as a part-time Panthers fan. I read a, a <laughs> great article you wrote recently um, about 11 wide receivers with undervalued target opportunity, and you, uh, you have both Robbie Anderson and rookie Terrace Marshall included in the article. So as a part-time Panthers fan, I, w- I just want to hear your take on the Panthers <laughs> offense in general with Darnold there and why those two specifically might be good value picks.
0: I gotta get a definition of what a part-time uh, Panthers fan is, or part-time any fan. Is. <laughs> <laughs> well, I grew up—I I grew up a
1: Dolphins fan for no reason at all. I think I just—I uh, think I, in my fantasy leagues when I was like eight or nine with my dad and his coworkers, I think I drafted Dan Marino my first year or something. Uh, but I lived in North Carolina for like six years, gotcha. and so I'd go see them. And my friends from there are all Panthers fans, so I—they're—they're they're kind of my—I uh,
0: my also root for. <laughs> I've always been partial to uh, the Panthers' uniforms and color scheme. Oh yeah, uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, look, you look at last year. I mean, basically through two quarters of the season last year, uh, you basically yeah, three quarters if you look at it, they were they were top ten in offensive DVOA, and then they just really kind of flatlined towards the end of the season uh, as they stacked up some injuries, and then Teddy B started to like, play his worst football down the stretch. Uh, but yeah, I mean, you look at they had four thousand yard players, obviously with you know Mike Davis, you know Curtis Samuel, Robbie Anderson. Anderson and D.J. Moore. So there's offensive production to be had there. They're an offense that's going to utilize their wide receivers. You know, Joe Brady scheme coming from LSU, we knew it was going to. I mean, they used three or more wide receivers on 70% of their snaps. They targeted their wide receivers at the third highest rate in the league, all while they t- uh, targeted their running backs at the seventh highest rate in the league. Because so we know Chris McCaffrey's coming back and it's going to be a focal point in this offense again. Yeah. Uh, but their wide receiver depth is, you know, is, is not the, is not the greatest, you know, outside of, you know, the top two guys, D.J. Moore and, and Robbie Anderson. Robbie Anderson was a guy that already averaged just a little under nine targets uh, per game last year. Just supreme discount because you didn't really find the, the paint a lot last season. Getting reunited with uh, his buddy Sam Darnold, which is good or bad, you know, depending who you ask. <laughs> uh, I probably am a little more down on Sam Darnold, but hey, you know, there's still a, a chance here. The scheme is right. And then Terrence Marshall really only has to beat out David Moore for the third wide receiver spot. Not a lot of depth behind them. They're going to, like I said, use wider, utilize their wide receivers a lot. Uh, and then Terrence Marshall has that touchdown upside. And then if you talk about an injury happens to any three of those guys... The target's elevation just for those guys is going to continue to grow uh, because they're just not going to thrust like David Moore in and give him 90 targets. Like Just not the type of player that he's been to this point in his career. Tommy Tremble, Dan Arnold really as well. Uh, Dan Arnold's like the one guy I think you can, can make an argument for because he's been so efficient and just really hasn't had the opportunity. Uh, but this is an offense. Remember Ian Thomas uh, at this point last offseason – uh, a little bit later in the summer, it was in August, he came out and admittedly said, like, we have no idea what the tight ends role are going to be in this offense. And I was like, oh, all right. Well, then you're instantly <laughs> off my board then. I'm, so, I'm sorry. You know, you know, I was kind of uh, kind of interested in you. But, you know, anytime you hear that, you just wonder if that's going to have something that's going to roll over, have transitive property. Because uh, there are these, some of these schemes that just don't really utilize uh, the position, uh, the tight end position a lot. And we've seen it happen with Cliff, where Dan Arnold just was. Maybe he, Hopefully he's not going into just a similar kind of... Uh, you know, outfit here.
1: Yeah, I'm excited about Terrace Marshall. I liked him pre-draft, excited to have him there. And, uh, you know, I'm kind of with you on Darnold, but hopefully it'll work out. I'm hoping it'll work out. Um, uh, Thanks so much, Rich. We're we're going to go straight into the main segment here. Folks, 4 for 4 has partnered with Underdog Fantasy to give you an easy way to claim a free, no-strings-attached Pro subscription to 4 for 4 for the current season. Plus, $25 instantly deposited to start playing. Just enter 4 for 4 in the promo code box and deposit at least $10 when you sign up at Underdog. This is a screaming great deal and a fantastic opportunity for anyone who's been on the fence about joining to sign up with no risk. Sign up at Underdog Fantasy today. <laughs> Uh, AFC North fantasy breakdown. A couple of Ohio guys on the podcast with Chris and Rich. Uh, let's uh, let's start with the Pittsburgh Steelers, which probably have. Uh, Some of the the biggest glaring questions, or at least the biggest question, which is, uh, does Ben Roethlisberger have anything left in the tank? Like, he looks like he doesn't really have an arm anymore, but apparently he's still going to start, and that's what he's going to do. Rich, your thoughts on Ben Roethlisberger and his ability to carry this uh, potent offense into fantasy success?
0: There's a lot of pieces we like here. You know, Ben obviously is a big you know part of where this thing goes he had the tommy john surgery he came back i've seen from a couple of different people that he came back earlier than expected uh from that injury and we've seen some of the comments he had were down the, the stretch of the season you know he kind of really worn down uh there was plenty of volume last year uh you know just a little under 41 pass uh, passes per game but then you look at it, just 6.3 yards for pass attempt that was 38th in the nfl uh he had a career low uh, average depth of target uh of 7.4 yards that was 32nd in the league I mean, this offense was just quick passing, near the line of scrimmage uh and then just you know they just uh, abandon the run but what's going to happen here is we still need to figure out if he has anything left downfield that's like the, where this thing all locks onto even get rid of randy Fickner, bringing in matt canada that we've already seen they're going to alter some things but does he have anything left just 16 percent of his throws came over 15 yards downfield that was 30th in the league on those passes he connected on just 35 percent that was 33rd in the nfl um that's just where it comes from. Can he get the ball downfield? Because we can't have this Pittsburgh offense operate in a similar capacity just with added runs the way it operated a year ago. Uh, there's just not enough here. um, to give us those kind of high leverage targets that we kind of demand for fantasy for these wide receivers that we really want to kind of attach ourselves to. I mean, you look at Juju, he had a career-low uh, 6.0 uh, yard average depth of target. Previously, it was 9.8 yards, 9.3, 10.1. Uh, he, wow. had, he had fewer deep targets than Eric Ebron, <laughs> you know, uh, in his same offense. As many as Tyler Eifert. Tyler Eifert has had more deep targets uh, over fifteen yards downfield than Juju Smith-Schuster. Um, That's stunning. Yeah. Chase Claypool had 30 36 deep targets Deontay and Juju Combined for 38 But then you look At Claypool And people are like Well he could be A year two DK Metcalf type And he is That type of archetype Uh, But you think about Russell Wilson And the difference Between Russell Wilson And Ben Roethlisberger And connecting a deep ball DK had that In his back pocket Claypool and Ben They connected on Just 10 of 36 Deep targets last year It's him hitting That ceiling And being that year two Kind of second year Wide receiver breakout Is really contingent On those high leverage targets Because we know he was a guy that was a little more dependent on touchdowns as a rookie we're going to need some more of those splash plays though surround those touchdowns
1: chris you had some uh some neutral passing rate uh information and and a dot information on pittsburgh did you want to share any of that
2: yeah i mean and i agree with rich's assessment of the team because if we're looking at everything staying static from the year prior then sure i'd be absolutely at least i'd be somewhat less concerned but from a neutral passing standpoint I mean, Pittsburgh's been uh, like when Ben Roethlisberger has been in the in the lineup top 3 in terms of neutral passing rate red zone passing rate has has been fairly similar so this is a team that we would want to we want to invest in but if we're looking at the quarterback and trying to assess whether or not those deep ball targets are going to be a part of his repertoire here at what is age 36 37 years or or whatever he's at right now that's that's the concern Because for a guy like Chase Claypool, who's currently going as, if I'm not mistaken, the wide receiver, I think wide receiver 30 on uh, according to underdog ADP. I mean, we really need him to still have some of those downfield targets that we were expecting for him, uh, at least more of that in the higher efficiency that we're expecting from him in in this year to leap. But we still have. I mean, James Washington is still going to be a part of that group. Uh, they're st- talking about kicking Juju Smith-Schuster to the outside, which I don't really understand personally because yeah. we know that his efficiency like really drops off in that area. So, and now with the addition of Najee Harris, we know that he's also going to suck up some of those underneath targets as well. So it's like where like where the where's the value going to come at? Like who are the guys that are going to hit within that offense? And it really all hinges on whether or not Ben Roethlisberger is going to. I guess get back to where he was at, like prior to the elbow surgery, or if this really is just him trying to fight that cliff that we know he's going to wind up falling over here within the next year or so.
1: Yeah. And I'm worried about his health in general, because if he does fall off, we've seen what Mason Rudolph can do. We've seen what Dwayne Haskins can do and it's not pretty. So, you know, that's my concern there with this offense is, um, if Ben isn't good anymore like if he can't get back to his 5,000 yards or at least threatening 5,000 yards and throwing downfield as you two alluded to uh and they have to make a switch because of injury either way any of those three quarterbacks on the roster could be problematic for that uh, you mentioned Najee Harris and I, I just wanted to start with you Chris on this uh the rookie running back coming to Pittsburgh you know historically uh be outside of the last couple of years Pittsburgh has been a pretty good spot for running backs now this one this team looks more built to pass Do you, are, are you bullish on Najee Harris this year uh, being able to come in immediately as a starter his ADP right now is end of the second round Uh, that seems like pretty uh, a pretty high cost for him but you know definitely some upside he can catch the ball and run well
2: yeah and I think that's if you're trying to Look at the archetype of a running back that you would want in the early rounds, like Harris profiles as that type of guy that could give you that early round value. And coming out of college, we knew that he was at least a viable pass catcher uh, come uh, in, uh, throughout his collegiate season. And so he moves into a team that really, I mean, is devoid of that sort of competition. And so that, I mean, we're not really looking at like Benny Snell or any of those other guys that are uh, that are going to be working as the second fiddle to Najee Harris. So I think when we look at the projectable volume for him, not just the rushes in between the tackles, but also the passing volume, if you go back to 2017, 20, uh, 2016, when Le'Veon Bell was still a part of that offense, we're looking at close to 100 targets like per season. I mean, that's average for Le'Veon Bell. Not to say that yeah. Harris is going to run in and take uh, 100 targets right out the gate, but we can see at least that path to him having that sort of target share within that offense. And if the Steelers were going to select Harris with that sort of draft capital, then we at least have to assume that's the type of role he's going to take within offense. So who's it going to ding? I mean, if we were assuming Juju Smith-Schuster to wind up having his role as that slot receiver within offense, probably takes away from him. It also works in, uh, works in concert with the fact that Ben Roethlisberger's arm might be deteriorating or not, but either way, those short targets could be something that Harris could wind up scooping up. So I see him as at least a decent value for where he's going at in drafts as of right now.
1: Rich, are you interested in him at ADP right now? I think his ADP on underdog is 17.2.
0: Yeah, I've been kind of you know uh, you know dabbling in the Najee Harris market like like Chris said. I mean it's when you just look for archetypes of running backs before we even get into the weeds on you know what this could be you know his fit for Pittsburgh. I mean you're talking about a 230 hundred and thirty pound running back that could catch the football. Uh, he's not going to come off the field. I mean, he's a true workhorse in every sense of the word. Uh, he, last year he counted for sixty six percent of the Alabama touches. That was the highest share of team touches for any running back in this class. Uh, his forty three receptions were bested by only saquon barkley and steven jackson for backs over 225 pounds entering the nfl uh since 2000 so i mean you've got a guy that when you look at just what you want to highlight for what you would chase in fantasy that's what it is a guy that's not gonna walk the field and he's gonna have a chance to score touchdowns and any catches passes uh you know the interesting thing is that here he's going to be trading that just stellar alabama offensive front for this pittsburgh offensive front which uh we did for sharp football the for the book we did unit ranks and they are my 32nd ranked offensive line um Now, in fantasy, we're just going to chase the volume and hope things like play out. But there is a little, some red flags here with this. I mean, when when contacted uh, at or behind the line of scrimmage last year, Najee Harris only averaged 1.8 yards per rushing attempt. He just wasn't contacted at or behind the line Oof. of scrimmage very often. Uh, Steelers running backs were uh, second in the NFL for most carries, uh, contacted at the line of scrimmage last year on 42% of the carries. Now, they did get rid of some guys that – Weren't very good in the first place. You know, Marquise Pouncey was a guy that aged and, you know, we kind of really fell off. Alejandro Villanueva, same way. Uh... You know, and Matt Filer is probably the best guy that they lost on the offensive line of the three starters that are leaving. They do have a guy in Kevin Dotson that played really well as a rookie that could be even potentially be an upgrade. Uh, he played 360 snaps last year. He's only credited with one pressure and one hurry allowed uh, last season as well. So he could potentially be an upgrade. But a lot of people look at the Steelers' offensive line, and they just look at, like, Ben Roethlisberger's sacks, and they're like, oh, they must have been pretty good. Uh, it's just only That's what the offense was last year. And it was a combination of Ben's arm and this offensive line. He was the fastest. To delivery uh, among quarterbacks in the NFL, uh, but when you look at he only allowed he only took 14 sacks, but they were 24th in ESPN's run block win rate rhetoric. They're 28th in pass block win rate. Uh, this offensive line really didn't make upgrades, and they did that by you know by taking Najee Harris where they did. They bypassed offensive line, uh, and then they really weren't able to get back in into the third round because they took Pat Fiermuth, uh in the second round as well. So I mean there are some concerns here. Um, I tried to get super super into the weeds on offensive line impact and how it can be but it does exist i mean this is uh, you know objectively on paper it's one of the worst offensive lines in the nfl
2: and my concern is that the pittsburgh won't be really able to operate like they have in years past where they can make some of those uh, they can mash some of their mistakes on offense like with the defense that they've had in years past and they really don't have that this year. I mean, with some of the losses that they've had, like throughout their uh, the interior of the uh, interior of their defense, and they also have like some uh, some issues uh, at corner as well. I'm just wondering that we'll see more of those, not necessarily uh, negative game scripts uh, that we would really want for fantasy, but I don't think they'll be able to play to the same style that they have in years past. I mean, in the first 10 weeks of the season, I think they were second in terms of EPA per play allowed just behind the Rams, I think right ahead of the bucks, but then what the, over the last three, four games of the season, what they got dunked on by Ryan Finley at one point, uh, they wound up losing that, <laughs> uh, that really bad game. I mean, that really, uh, well, yeah, that was actually a pretty terrible game against the Washington football team. I mean, there were a number of times like throughout the, throughout the back end of the season where, we're just wondering, what is how are the Steelers going to be that iron curtain that we've typically known them to be? And I just don't think they'll be able to play the same way they have.
1: Yeah. Steelers will Steeler. her. That's, that's what they like to play down. Sometimes that's kind of what they do. Uh, we talked about the yeah. receivers a little bit already. Uh, Deontay Johnson, wide receiver, 24, uh, at underdog right now, uh, Chase Claypool, wide receiver, 30 Juju wide receiver, 38, and then James Washington still being drafted as wide receiver, 103 right now. Uh, rich, any of those guys, which one of those guys is the most appealing to you at ADP? We've already kind of talked about what their upside is for Claypool and Juju. Uh, I haven't really talked about Deontay yet. Uh, any of those guys you're targeting where they're going
0: for as much as I like all three individual players they're not three guys that I've drafted a lot based on just like the, the company they keep in terms of ADP I don't honestly click them, them a lot uh you know Deontay's probably the best volume bet you know he was what 50 NFL in targets per game 11th in catches but then we talk about that the, the ADOT problem you know he's 28th in receiving yards per game uh Claypool is the archetype of guy that I like to draft Uh, You know, guys that get high leverage targets. I always talk about high cholesterol fantasy targets like Claypool's that guy downfield targets end zone targets. Uh, Will the overall value be there for him? That's the one question mark. And can Ben get him the football downfield? The other problem that Claypool has, though, is his ADP just surrounds guys in that similar archetype that he is that I just kind of like more. T. Higgins, I just outright like more. Same archetype of guy. Kenny Galladay, I'm not nearly as down in the field as Kenny Galladay. I understand why some people are, but he's a guy that is the same archetype. Cortland Sutton's also the same archetype. So you've got kind of that bucket of all guys that are very similar, and he might not have the target projection of like a T. Higgins or a Galladay. Um, Then he has similar, you know, probably quarterback concerns, maybe a Cortland Sutton and Galladay. But uh, yeah, I just really haven't clicked the button a lot on him. And then Juju's the cheapest, but like Chris kind of laid out I mean we've kind of seen like a decline uh in Juju the past three years I just feel like it's similar to Randall Cobb's 2014 season like we're just glomming on to Juju's 2018 season and and like kind of that's just been in his price the past two years it's like he can get back to that but I just don't think he's that type of player he's he has more touchdown potential uh, than the typical slot receiver but he also is just better in the slot like Chris alluded to like there's he doesn't need to play 85 percent of the time in the slot like he did last year, but he's still probably going to be there two thirds of the time or more. Uh, that can help him get some more higher leverage targets that can help his fantasy ceiling a little bit, and, and you know, kind of take away from him just being like a, a touchdown dependent floor guy like he was last year. But also, I'm just not drafting him a lot. <laughs> you know, I just don't see that, that super upside of him being a wide receiver one again. I think that's been pretty fleeting chasing that. So Claypool's the guy I want to draft the most uh, out of the three guys, but. I just haven't really been clicking the button on a lot of these guys, unfortunately. Probably just no, change that.
2: I I can I agree with you, though, especially given the, not necessarily, I guess the opportunity cost that goes with drafting any of those guys. Because like you were mentioning earlier with Claypool and Deontay, Deontay Johnson, look at the guys that are going around Juju Smith-Schuster right now, wide receiver 38 on underdog. And I can get Michael Gallup. At almost uh, half a round, like later than him, whom I like a little bit more because he's attached to Dak Prescott. Brandon Cooks, regardless of what you think about Houston's situation, he's a guy that you could probably get. uh, You could see having a uh, higher amount of a greater share of the Houston's offense, but also. We know what he can produce even with like awful quarterback play, which we assume is going to happen. And then Jarvis Landry uh, going behind him as well. I mean, they're just a number of guys that I can see arbitraging like most of his value with that that are going at least a, a round later than him.
1: Yeah, so let's uh, let's move to the tight ends real quick because uh, we've already, uh, shockingly enough, we're already going long on, on the Steelers' uh, base at <laughs> the fault. time, which which makes perfect sense uh, for, for this group. I think uh, we're all a bit chatty, which is fun. Uh, so uh, Eric Ebron, Pat Fryermuth, uh, you know, we know the history of rookie tight ends, uh, but, you know, I, I guess the question I have for you, Rich, is – Um, Not so much are we drafting Pat Fryermuth but how much does that affect your uh, appetite to take a dart throw at Eric Ebron because Ebron does get red zone production he does uh, put up kind of those streaming tight end numbers are we taking him off draft boards because of uh, the draft capital invested in Fryermuth in a second round pick or are we still interested in one of these guys.
0: Well, the other thing, too, is how as it relates to these receivers. I mean, does this allow them to play a lot more 12 personnel, which it clearly does? Uh, you know, if Frymuth is a big dude. This is 6'5", 260 pounds, like, and he can block. He's a really good blocker, uh, which is probably what, p- part of the appetite of taking him as well. You know, Ebron's in the final year, his contract Fairmuth for fantasy is basically like a year two plus guy, but it can allow them to play more 12 personnel. When you play more 12 personnel, one of those receivers we just talked about is coming off the field. Last year, it had a tendency to be more clay pulled. Now, does he get more run is it juju in the one-year contract we don't know it kind of remains to be seen uh, what happens there but this is a team that can absolutely play a lot more 12 personnel than any of us are anticipating uh especially when we talk about the state of that offensive line and the fact that they had naji like there are some signals here that they very much could despite having those three really good receivers um, but i mean yeah e- ebron's kind of just like a Uh, like in a best ball dart anyways Uh, you know you look at just his his complete upside uh, was very lacking last year even with all the passing volume that they had Uh, so he's not a guy I was really targeting anyways it's a bummer because like I I do like a lot of individual pieces here but these are just not a lot of guys have been clicking the button on
2: no, and I think like we were talking about earlier, it's just the company that they keep with them at similar ADPs. It's just I always find myself liking most of the guys that are around them more, and typically by that point, like if you're if you're getting to the point where Ebron is coming up in terms of ADP, like when you happen to look at the available players on Underdog or wherever you're drafting at, typically by that point I'm almost I'm typically done drafting tight ends at that point. I'm just kind of like, oh, he's mm-hmm. there you know, whatever. But for the most part, it's just not a guy that I wind up clicking on. And I can understand like, with just looking at where Ben Roethlisberger is going at. I can almost see his value currently right now. I think quarterback 27 on underdog, it being more of a function of the quarterback that you're attached to. We're just not excited about that offense in general. So I can see why some of the pieces are falling uh, similarly when it comes to ADP. Uh, But I guess moving over to my team, uh, Cincinnati Bengals, I, I guess I, I'm more just, I'm a fan because I, I wound up living there for about five, six years when I was going to college. And I have to start off right right off the top with what where what's your stance on Joe Burrow at this point? I know since he's coming off the injury, there's still some concern about him even missing the first couple of weeks of the season due to injury. I've seen folks like Edwin Portis on, uh, on Twitter talking about that there's always that risk or that chance of him missing some time. But really, we want We know that the volume is going to be there whenever he gets under center, whether it's week one, he starts on, on pup or whatever. We know the volume is going to be there, but is the rushing going to be there so that we can access some of that Konami code action that we saw in his rookie season? So I guess that's where I wanted to start the conversation off, Rich. Are you projecting that right off the bat? Or is it something that you can really see him start to get more comfort in doing that like later on in the season?
0: Yeah, i've been more cautious on just the mobility angle just from like guys like edwin and you know basically I mean, he tore that acl and mcl in week 10 uh, of last season so he's really brushing up against the potential of like if, if there's a setback and then if there's like a, an early season lull in mobility uh, so, so i've been a little more cautious on that and having that kind of rushing upside which is obviously a big deal now burrow does have the out of, like you said, just the volume. I mean, the, the, he dropped back to pass 45 times per game. On a per dropback level, him and Tua actually had very similar output per dropback, just that one guy drop back 45 times per game. And one guy is perceived as having a bad rookie season. And the other guy well, is like that's the volume, the, but they, the they're very similar. Is excited
1: by that. Sorry. Uh, but if you look at
0: like their, the, yeah, like their, you know, their, their yards per dropback and their fantasy points output per dropback, They're very similar. Just one guy obviously gives all the volume. Now volume's is still important for a guy like Burrow last year coming in. I, I, compared him a lot to like a rookie season, you know, kind of Andrew luck. He was just going to drop back and throw a bunch of times per game. You're going to get some mobility. Uh, like he had like one game in cleveland he threw like 70 times like it's you you get those games from him uh, but i do worry about him just from the sense of uh the injury being able to get like that next tier up uh, for fantasy i think he still falls in the bucket of like a guy you want to pick your spots with uh, similar to a baker mayfield or even like a lot of people are projecting to as like bounce back even two, i would say like even in the ceiling comes into like that kind of guy he's more of a qb2 that could have QB1 overall numbers, uh, but it's a guy you more or less want to pick your spots with. I think that's where I'm finally setting on with Joe Burrow. I think he's obviously alluring because the stack potential you can do with Bengals stacks. But I think when we get to August and we're actually drafting in redraft leagues, I think he'll probably go a little higher than I'm comfortable taking him because I don't know if that early rushing upside is going to be there. And I do want to chase some guys that have that. Um, And then if someone wants to let him go like in season, Hopefully I can scoop him up uh, off of waivers if they're disappointed in the first month and be able to pick some spots and use him. Uh, but that's kind of where I'm at with him. Uh, th- but the addition of Ch- uh, Jamar Chase is a huge deal here because Joe Burrow and A.J. Green just weren't, were were not completely not a fit last year. And this is, you know, uh, A.J. Green was targeted on 19% of Joe Burrow's throws. Uh, those two, That duo connected on just 45% of those passes, 4.7 yards per target, just one touchdown. Targeting other Bengals players, Joe Burrow was... Looks a lot better. Uh, completed 73% of his passes, 7.4 yards per target, 12 touchdowns, on throws over 15 yards downfield. Burrow and Green connected on just 3 of 27 targets. He was 21 of 47 <laughs> targeting anyone else, which was league average. You know, the knock on Burrow you always hear is that, well, he struggles downfield. But he didn't, It wasn't a thing he was good at in college. He wasn't good as a rookie going downfield. Well, he was fine throwing downfield to anyone. He was at least base rate, the league base rate, throwing to anyone outside of A.J. Green. Mm-hmm. So just getting... That, that marriage away, and I don't want to dunk on A.J. Green because he's been such a good player for so long, and he's been a guy that you want to root for for A.J. Green too. Like A.J. Green's not a dude that's hard to root for, uh, but last year that connection was just abysmal, and being able to swap him out with a younger player on a uh, higher career trajectory and one that he's already played with and established a rapport with is going to be a big deal for Joe Burrow as well.
2: I 100% agree, and that's why I was talking with. Actually, I actually forget who I was talking with, but a number of folks, since they know I'm a Bengals fan, have asked me about my thoughts regarding the pick itself. Like when it happened, like was I happy with them taking Chase at, uh, chase at six? And I was like, okay, fine. I get why they would wind up making the making the selection that they did. I mean, and rapport aside, but it's just that they needed they needed a better outside receiver or primary Mm -hmm. receiver in that offense in order to replace A.J. Green. Because like you said, I mean, just the connection wasn't there. And so if you wind up taking like one of the best like wide receiver prospects that we've seen in some time, it absolutely makes sense for that offense. Like we know that that's the style that Zach Taylor wants to play. We've noticed that at least down the stretch uh, before Burrow was injured, I mean, the amount of three wide receiver sets that they were using, I mean, that was also kicking up. I mean, they just want to be able to pass the ball like out of those formations. But if your three wide receiver formations are T. Higgins, Tyler Boyd, and who, John Ross, Auden Tate? <laughs> I mean, it doesn't, make, it doesn't make sense from a tactical perspective to do that. And so now adding a guy like Jamar Chase, who, again, the cherry on top is that he's already worked with Joe Burrow. I think it just makes more sense for at least the career, uh, the career development for both of those players, not just Jamar Chase, but also Joe Burrow. But now talking about those wide receivers, I mean, how are you kind of ranking each of those guys? I mean, do you see just from a projection standpoint, that clear separation between Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, and Tyler Boyd? Because as of right now going on underdog, I mean, Jamar Chase is like the clear alpha at least in terms of ADP going at wide receiver 20, T. Higgins at wide receiver 26, and Tyler Boyd all the way down at wide receiver 33. I mean, do you see that much separation between the three of them from, your, from a projection standpoint, or do you think they should be at least a bit more condensed just based off the volume that we know that all three of them should get?
0: Yeah, I have a more condensed in projections as well. And obviously, you know, anytime you have a rookie receiver, like projections are kind of a little bit flimsy as well. You know, it's it's really hard to like project a rookie to have a 25% target share. You know, it's it's just like off the rip cuz it just it, those aren't things that happen. But you look at wide receivers taken in chases ADP, they typically are around the 19-20%. AJ Green had a 19% target share where It's easy to kind of just kind of get him into that 20%. Uh but I mean, I I have told you already guys the kind of archetype receiver I like, so I really like T Higgins. I've I've been really attached to T Higgins as a prospect. Um I thought that he fell way too far in rookie drafts last year so i've got him on a lot of teams so maybe it's part of me just cheering for him but i mean you look at his rookie season it was productive as well i think that he's fallen too far since the addition of, of chase while chase has probably got a little too much steam uh chase right now he's i only have i have adp file all the way back to 2011 he will be the second highest rookie wide receiver ever taken uh if this holds through august amari cooper landed in august adp at wide receiver 17 Uh, And that was the only wide receiver that I have in my database that was a wide receiver two or higher in ADP. Uh, Julio was wide receiver 28 as a rookie. Uh, So if he's wide receiver 20, I mean, that is a lot to to expect. I mean, we talked a lot about, you know, Kyle Pitts and his ADP, you know, obviously the fans can use beat that into the ground, but especially at wide (laughs) receiver where there are just a lot of other alternatives as opposed to like the tight end position to take a, a rookie wide receiver with that kind of capital. It's, it's typically outside of my comfort zone, uh, especially when you talk about the players you can get around them. Like we've kind of alluded to earlier uh, with the Steelers guys, uh, I just find myself gravitated to T. Higgins, not just because he's the archetype of guy I like, because you talked about the the, the volume that this offense is going to have, and they play. Thir- they So last year they played a third wide receiver on the field eighty-two percent of their snaps, second in the league. Twenty nineteen it was seventy-eight uh, percent. And some of that's been game script induced, but this is also what kind of Zach Taylor's lineage and kind of the schemes he's all been attached to. They're gonna play three wide receivers a lot. Um, Higgins was he had a rapport with Burrow too as well. Uh, He had 62 more or more receiving yards in six straight games. He averaged 17 PPR points per game weeks three through ten. He was the wide receiver 11 overall in fantasy scoring in that period. Now Chase is gonna take some of that away just because. Aj Green was so ineffective during that period, but uh, there's still a trajectory here where T Higgins continues to grow. This offense continues to grow. Um, I just find him to be just a, a really palatable selection at like the wide receiver like 25 to 30 range where he continuously hits.
2: No, and uh, that's kind of the the player out of. Uh, Any of those, any of that trio that I've been gravitating towards the most. I mean, just looking at from I think it was weeks one through eight, thereabouts, if I'm remembering correctly, he had like a much higher ADOT, I want to say like in the 12 to 13 range. But then when we saw his target share start to kick up, his ADOT started to drop. And fall within that range where we see more of the alpha wide receivers like somewhere like 10, 11, if I'm remembering correctly. Mm -hmm. And that's what we want. I mean, we want wide receivers that can show that route tree diversity and not to just pigeonhole them as deep threats or as slot receivers or whatever. And I think Higgins has that. So while we assume that Jamar Chase is going to profile as the X receiver in that offense. T. Higgins is going to be outside of him playing the perimeter, yes, but that doesn't mean that he's just going to be the guy that's running some of those, like, you know, cardio routes or whatever that will just get him, like, deep ball (laughs) targets. He can be more than that. And so, given where he's going in drafts, I mean, if again, if we're assuming that Jamar Chase, like, the ADP holds, I mean, I can arbitrage most of Jamar Chase's value with T. Higgins, and he's going about around at least a round later than him currently in drafts. And then, of course, tyler boyd later on if you want to go for the the real value even though tyler boyd typically relies more on volume than anything else and not necessarily efficiency he can another be uh, he can be another guy to target in drafts because, and like you were saying earlier i mean it's just a valuable stack that you can put together without really reaching or stretching in order to put together a stack with burrow but it all comes down to how we see burrow progressing from a health standpoint and if he's going to be Playing at an effective level for 16, we'll take that back, 17 games uh, this year. I, I guess that's that's really the, I guess, the crux of the argument at this point. But I wanted to loop in just the final element of that offense, and that's Joe Mixon. Haven't seen him put it together for a full season. Uh, they've already come out and said, uh, you know, what was the quote? They don't see Mixon ever leaving the field. His workload before he went down in the, around the week six time frame definitely spoke to that. I mean, he was on Ezekiel Ezekiel Elliott levels of uh of usage in terms of both rushing usage and also target share. So, I'm hoping uh that you might be with me on this, but is Joe Mixon I think in line up for in RB1 type season this year?
0: Yeah, I absolutely think so. Um but it just goes back to what we talked about Najee Harris too. Like we can takes away some things like uh, some, maybe some red flags and kind of look at these things under the microscope, but it's just an archetype to bet on. I mean, you just have to keep betting on the archetype, the three-down guy that gets goal-on carries involved in the passing game. I know that Brian Callahan's comments kind of gave us like the C.J. Spiller is going to have the ball till he pukes kind of flashbacks, uh, but, you know, C.J. Spiller is also not that archetype <laughs> of running back. Uh, you know, you talked about it. I mean, the, before Mixon got hurt last year, I mean, he was second in the NFL in touches per game behind Derrick Henry. Um... You know he was running a career high 21.3 pass routes per game and averaging a career high 6.8 receiving points per game in ppr formats uh, you remove Gio Bernard, uh, this depth chart of Samaje P. Ryan Travian Williams, uh, Chris Evans, Puka Williams, Jock Patrick, whatever they get out of these guys. I mean, it's, he's going to have the runway. Uh, then we have to, you know, what is this impact of, you know, bringing Frank Pollock back? Is that going to ha- be, you know, uh, be an overall positive? Uh, Jonah Jonah Williams playing a full season. Uh, Riley Reef just being an upgrade over the bodies they had last year. Uh, I don't know what they're going to get out of Jackson Carmen. you know, moving, you know, to guard. Uh, but you just bet on the archetype. We can bring up all these other things. Things, but there are only so many of these guys in the NFL, and we'll talk about it a little bit because I know you guys are the Browns guys coming up too. The The fantasy game has really transitioned to where running backs aren't catching a lot of passes anymore in the NFL. They haven't the last three seasons. It's gone down year after year. Uh, and there's a number of reasons that we get into. So like these guys that do all of these things you just have to glom onto the archetype because there's just not many of them uh so because any of those guys can hit their ceilings like they're gonna smash they're gonna because. The position that still provides the highest leverage on a weekly basis and seasonal basis in fantasy football are the highest scoring running backs in fantasy football. Uh, There's a reason that those guys get played in DFS every week. There's a reason why you start in in DFS and you play those guys because even the the best players know. Uh, The thing is, it's just harder to diagnose, uh, you know, getting those guys because because the injuries and things that happen. But there's a specific archetype that generally fills those spots. And Joe Mixon is that archetype of running back.
1: Y'all going to talk me into Joe Mixon. I don't like that. I, I drafted him last year. He burned me. I was out. Now, now I'm getting back in. I'm getting back I in get now. It. How dare you? <laughs> mm. Folks, we have a couple giveaway opportunities coming up on the horizon. First off, we're offering an opportunity to win an entry into Scott Fish Bowl 11. Show up to our live stream this Monday, June 14th at 7.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. The link will be tweeted out from the 4for4 4 4 account when it goes live. Be sure to join us and enter during the live stream while listening to myself, Chris, and Jen Akins discuss the Scott Fishbowl, kickers, and anything else that pops into our heads. Winners will be announced at the end of the live stream. Second, in honor of the 444th episode of the Most Accurate Podcast, listeners have until midnight Eastern Standard Time on Sunday, June 20th, to enter to win either a free pro subscription or a four for four t-shirt. All you have to do to enter is give the Most Accurate Podcast a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and leave us a nice review. Take a screenshot of your review and tweet it to at four for four football. In celebration of his ten years with the site, John Paulson will announce the two winners on that four hundred and forty-fourth episode, which will post on the evening of June 21st so get your entries in now let's shift to the Browns uh, real quick Uh, I want to talk about the wide receivers first with the Browns because you know Jarvis Landry uh, not a great start to his Cleveland Browns career obviously the injuries limited him to seven games last season Uh, you know Chris I I want you to tell me a little bit about why you might be a little more bullish on the receivers including Odell Beckham Jr. in Cleveland than uh, perhaps the standard person is
2: Well, I know that a lot of folks were on the narrative because I saw it floating around Twitter quite a bit that the Cleveland, bar, uh, Cleveland was better without Otto Beckham, which oh, I, yeah. <laughs> just on, on its on its face like almost made my head explode because it, it never made like sense to me because if uh, just if you look at the personnel usage that they were that they had towards the back end of the season, despite the fact they're winning, I mean, if we or we're, if we're ready to crown Rashard Higgins as the alpha wide receiver in that offense, then I I don't know where we're at like as a, as a fantasy community, but. Over the the last, like, three to four games of the season, because they had, like, the awful, like, weather games in weeks 10 and 12, I'm sure Rich uh, almost has to remember them vividly because he lives <laughs> in the area. But uh, the Cleveland Browns, they were at least uh, – I think they were sixth in terms of EPA per play over the back end of the season uh, – Baker Mayfield he had two top three finishes uh, over that time span and I think he also finished as uh, the QB 12 in weeks either 15 or 16. I mean he was a QB 1 like over that back half of the season and it wasn't just because he was winning uh, not just off of uh, efficient passing but their neutral uh, games uh, neutral passing rate also kicked up to around like 60% red zone passing rate also kicked up so from a team that we had already, uh, we had just assumed that, well, it's Kevin Stefanski. He comes from Minnesota. Look at Kirk Cousins passing rate. going to be back into the league. I mean, they actually showed a bit more than what we had assumed that offense to look like at the beginning of the season. They were much more efficient of a passing game. So I'm not ready to just declare Odell Beckham being just awful for that offense. It's more about that offense learning and coming together under Kevin Stefanski more than anything else. So I think Odell Beckham Now, if you put him back into that efficient offense and substitute Rashard Higgins for Odell Beckham, now we're talking about a Odell Beckham that can at least not ascend to where he was at with the Giants, because I don't don't think he's going to have a similar volume to where he was at in New York, but he could at least be efficient enough as a receiver to outkick his current ADP.
1: Yeah, or current ADP, you know, he's the 28th receiver on underdog right now. Jarvis Landry, the 42nd receiver on underdog. I feel like these guys are both values. Uh, what, What do you think about the receivers in Cleveland, Rich, and are you buying at their ADP?
0: Yeah, I mean Jarvis is uh, one of those guys you, you don't go broke with similar to Tyler Boyd that we just talked about. I actually like those guys more in best ball leagues than seasonal leagues. Uh, I get you kinda of take on them you kinda of take on the best of those guys. You don't have to predict them remember Jarvis and Tyler Board in a similar capacity. These are guys the way they're utilized and you know, kind of predicated on more volume than than high leverage targets. They're gonna have stretches of the season where you almost talk yourselves out into benching them a lot of times. And, you know, you you, you can you really get into kind of uh, the weeds into your roster management and start missing the best games that these players kind of offer. That's why I do like those guys a little more in a, in a best ball league than, than not. Um, but you're not going to go broke with those guys either. You kind of know what you're getting. And then when these players miss times, like, you know, if Jamar Chase were to miss time, if T. Higgins missed time, if Odell Beckham were to miss time, you see those guys elevate. We saw it with Jarvis Landry the back half of the season uh, the final month. Once they cleared those weather games, I mean, this is a guy that was pushing a 27% team target share and was Turning in top 30 wide receiver scoring weeks every week with Beckham off the field. So we're probably still in a more of a Odell misses time elevation option out of making him like a wide receiver four flex guy. Uh Odell, he you know, he gave us that moment last year, the Cowboys game of like, is this dude back? Like is is it back? And then, you know, he gets hurt, you know, kind of immediately afterwards. Um like I said, the volume is, is, the, is the kind of the biggest hang up. You know, his per game averages would have been the lowest of his career if it had held up over the full season. But we're still talking about a guy that's still not 30s, 29 years old. And we're talking about players in his ADP context, like guys that can absolutely just like, smashed their adp by like 20 spots like it still exists i know it's been fleeting and he hasn't paid off his draft costs in basically four years but you're talking about range of outcomes for players like it's easy to still say like this guy is one of the most talented wide receivers in the league and uh am i gonna take courtland sutton over him like you know it's 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 what kind of the, the the kind of the bucket you get into uh so it's really easy to kind of talk yourself into the upside of him at that cost there's really not a lot of risk when you're taking him as, especially we were talking about where your roster construction could be at the point of taking Odell Beckham. He could be your wide receiver four. I mean, he could mm-hmm. be your wide receiver three. He could be your wide receiver four, depending how you started. Uh, now, if you get into a spot to maybe he's your wide receiver one, and wide receiver two, then you maybe go uh, a little more risk adverse um but yeah the browns are a team that you know we're a little more aggressive down the stretch now there was some schedule influence for the browns definitely towards the end of the season uh very much like david montgomery's you know stretch for baker as well uh if you look at all his hot spots last year they came against bottom rung pass defenses outside of the baltimore monday night game which was just like a uh that, that game was just insane obviously the probably the best game that happened last year especially when you put it in the twitter context of the lamar like uh locker room stuff uh mm-hmm. that game that game was amazing like it was just an amazing time to be on twitter too as well but you look at all of baker's best games they came against teams that were bottom rung pass defenses and more importantly the same thing that happens for baker and his main bug teams that can't rush the passer that's still just been his number one thing in the NFL. Even last year, he averaged uh, 3.6 fewer yards per pass attempt uh, against pressure versus kept clean. That was the 37th largest differential in the NFL. So when teams uh, can't pressure him, uh, it, it's it's just lights up. Like it's when he's good. Um, the passing volume is probably more of a problem for him. I think that like Baker, he just falls in that same bucket we talked about earlier. Of guys is that like you just pick your spots with them. He's not going to be a weekly QB one, uh but you could pick your spots with him, kind of elevate him in these super flex leagues. You know he's a, he's a rock solid QB two, not going to go broke. Hit you with some spike weeks, a la like a more mobile Kirk Cousins. I hate to just drive that corollary because the fancy thing, uh but I mean we've got a guy that's got made 46 regular season starts now. And he's got 14 QB one scoring weeks. We kind of know what we're getting. We know he's not going to have the volume of a guy like Joe Burrow, um but yeah, this passing game is in totality on an efficiency level. A lot better than people give it credit for. And if they can just be kind of in between the best of both worlds, what they were last year, against those soft cupcakes that they had at the end of the year and then what they were at the very beginning of the season, if they can just get that volume to kind of merge, uh, you're looking at a lot of production here for the pass catchers.
1: Yeah, and then uh, you mentioned Baker as well. You know, QB 20 right now. Chris highlighted that toward the end of last season he was a QB 1. I That's what I'm attracted to with this Browns team and this Browns passing game in general is just it doesn't cost anything to get these guys. So uh, I, I agree with you there. Let's go to Nick Chubb, who uh, it will cost you a lot to get. Um, how are you viewing Nick Chubb in PPR formats and then kind of lead that into Kareem Hunt as a zero running back? Uh, target because he does that I I know uh, that's been always my hesitancy to going all in on Chubb in the first round in most drafts because he doesn't really catch the balls and Hunt is there what do you think Rich
0: yeah that's kind of what kind of moves people off them and but you look at as a whole like I kind of alluded to uh, running back receiving has been on a a major three-year decline in usage uh, target rate share of league wide reception share yard share of uh, receiving touchdowns have all dropped from the season prior three straight seasons last year running backs only averaged 18 and a half percent of the league targets that was down from 19.8 percent in 2019 20 and percent in 2018 uh just two individual running backs accounted for 15 percent of their team targets jd mckissick and, and alvin kamara uh we saw six backs hit that share of targets in 2019 nine do so in 2018 uh we just had uh you were, we lost Christian McCaffrey, and we'll get Saquon back to help the, to kind of help that field. But there's a reason why this is also happening on a league-wide trend basis. One, wide receiver usage is up. There are more wide receivers playing now in today's NFL than ever ever before, and more guys getting targets. Uh, and then also the the mo- mobile quarterback factor. The amount of mobile quarterbacks that have entered the NFL recently just continued to rise, and it happened again this year. Uh, even in clowning, including guys like uh, Trevor Lawrence and Zach Wilson, these are guys that are going to – have rushing attempts and have scramble ability uh, outside of just Trey Lance and Justin and Justin Fields. Um, so the the increased mo- mobile quarterback uh, rate in the NFL has really taken away from some of these running back targets as well. Um, but you look at RB ones receiving production accounted for just 33.9 percent of the RB one scoring in PPR formats last year, uh, and 19.2 percent of the production in standard leagues. For comparison's sake,s so those marks in PPR formats were 42 percent, 49.7 percent, 47 percent in PPR formats the previous three seasons, that's a big difference. 34% to 42%. Like you see those numbers you say, well they're close, but that's a big that's a big gap. Uh and then even in standard formats, uh those numbers, you know, were at 26%, 35%, 32%. We've seen the receiving production for running backs just drop as a league-wide hole. And it's opened the door for some of these rushing heavy dependent backs uh to make their marks back again as fantasy RB1s when in the mid 2010s they would have been more like a wide receiver or running back like 12 to 15 type guy. I mean, obviously you have Derrick Henry who's the unicorn of all this, you know, 92% of his PPR points come via rushing, but Nick Chubb, 86%, Josh Jacobs, 77%, Jonathan Taylor, 72%. All those guys have been able to hang around being RB1s in fantasy, even in PPR formats, because as a whole, the position isn't being used. And we talk about why it's important for those guys like Joe Mixon and Najee Harris, why they that archetype is so kind of uh, important to just attach yourself to that archetype, uh, because those guys, are really kind of uh, not in surplus right now in the NFL. Uh, but we know what Nick Chubb is. I mean, this is one of the most efficient runners in the NFL, uh, over five yards per touch in all of his first three NFL seasons. Uh, when he returned in, in week 10 last year, he's the RB5 in PPR scoring, RB4 in yards from scrimmage per game, RB3 in touches. And that's kind of the one thing when you roll into Kareem Hunt, I actually think his standalone value is a bit overstated uh, than where his ADP is. And now, and his ADP also goes just in a realm where I'm just hammering wider receivers. Too. Uh, but when you look at when Chubb came back, I mean, Kareem Hunt was the RB 22 in points per game, uh, but he was just massively outtouched uh, towards the end of the season by Dick Chubb. And it, he, if he doesn't score a touchdown for you, his games look. A lot less palatable. Like you need Cream Hunt to score touchdowns. Now he still has that value as that that handcuff behind a great offensive line and runs in the supreme workload where he he's an RB one that kind of holds his ADP where it's going. But I do think his standalone value is a little bit overstated by the community. um And especially like I said, when you're going around all those wide receivers, man, where I'm just hammering wide receivers. Like I just honestly don't have a lot of Cream Hunt.
2: No, and I think that's that's where. I've I've definitely fallen prey to the same uh, to the same issue with Hunt because if we're looking at right now currently Kareem Hunt's ADP over on Underdog is like running back twenty five so fifty six point five in uh, half point PPR and at that same time I mean there's well we talked about Deontay Johnson but still Kenny Galladay is going shortly after T Higgins Brandon Ayuk Odell Beckham I mean all of those wide receivers I'd rather have than Kareem Hunt at that point and from a Uh, if most folks abide by some of just the general roster construction or structural drafting rules, I mean, most, I mean, we know that that dead zone of running backs typically exists within that area. So I'm always looking for those wide receivers that I know are going to give me more usable weeks than any of the running backs are typically going that area. And just, it's unfortunate that hunt falls in that area because like you were mentioning earlier, Rich, I mean, he, we know the upside should something happen to Chubb. I mean, we just watched that happen last, last season. But from a usage and efficiency standpoint, I would much rather have the wide receivers that are currently going that range than hunt like almost 10 times out of 10, which is unfortunate.
0: Yeah, they had, he had eight weeks with with Chubb towards the end of the season, and uh, in five of those eight weeks, he was the RB30 or lower in PPR. Um, you need more than that out of that. That's average running back production. Um, that's not going to break you, but it's also the having average running back production is the least functional thing you can have in your weekly NFL in your weekly fantasy lineup it provides the least amount of positional leverage whereas baseline wide receiver production is more way more functional than baseline running back production from the gaps to like a wide receiver one performance Uh, so that that kind of moves me off him a little bit because I I just don't think the standalone value is as high as everyone thinks it is
2: no and I think that's I think it's a fair assessment of Hunt like walking into this season uh do we even care about the tight ends at this point? I know that after the exp- after the, the move for them to pick up Austin Hooper, the contract that he got, that then we try and correlate that with his output from last season. Are you even interested in the Austin Hooper? Do we throw a dart at David Njoku if we assume that he comes back from the dead in 2021? I mean, are you interested in either of those guys?
0: Not so much. I think the biggest thing with Austin Hooper is that we just kind of we knew that what kind of player he was, and that if he wasn't going to get the kind of volume he was going to have in Atlanta, we were going to get a season like he gave us in Cleveland, right? Like he's just always been kind of a catch and fall tight end. He doesn't create a lot of yak. He's been predicated on getting a lot of targets, and when you don't get a lot of targets, you're not going to be as productive and be a lot more touchdown dependent like he was last year. And I just don't see him as a player, as an archetype of a player, changing. That's just who Austin Hooper is. Uh, So if he doesn't run into a situation where he can get a high amount of targets, then he's probably not going to be a reliable
2: fantasy option on a weekly basis. No, and I think I thought I heard you mention it on which show I forget. uh, Please forgive me. uh, But I remember you talking about the fact that we're drafting Austin Hooper at or above some of the other guys that are going to, like a guy like Gerald Everett, I would much mm-hmm. rather have somebody like Gerald Everett than uh, than uh, trying to figure out if Hooper's going to return any sort of volume, like in, in 2021, and uh, when it comes to best ball drafts. Yeah, absolutely. All right, so last team that we're going to get to uh, here for the AFC North, uh, and it is the Ravens. Rich, do you expect any sort of bounce back season for, for Lamar, like after... Almost like a complete 180 shift from 2019. They were at least top three in terms of offensive yards per drive. I think that dropped back to uh, 18th or 19th in 2020. Lamar has this down season. I mean, is there anything to expect uh, for him to be able to move back into that QB1 like type of uh, like overall QB1 range versus where he's currently being drafted, which is about the QB4, QB5 as of as of right now on underdog?
0: Yeah, he he's my QB2. And you know last year we knew this though. Like I mean we this is the thing and there's, it could be a larger fantasy conversation but you know fantasy ADP fantasy ranks uh, they tend to just resemble what we just saw even though we know that, that none of that stuff really ever stays like true and we knew the Ravens were going to have regression I mean they were they were one of the healthiest teams in, in 2019 and they scored on 57% of their offensive possessions which matched the 2007 New England Patriots uh, for highest scoring rate per drive you know since since 2000 since this stuff was being able to be tracked uh, we knew there was going to regression there and they had the regression and they had it health wise too um a lot of these teams too that have these outlier seasons they are usually supremely healthy and then that doesn't hold the next season as well but they were still you know ninth in the league in, in scoring rate and possession so they're still a good offense even with regression you don't have to completely run away from regression um but you look at you look at jackson he got going towards the end of the year as well we seen him kind of you know get going uh he averaged, what, 24.8 points per game over his final seven games. He had six QB1 scoring weeks uh, after just three QB1 scoring weeks over his opening eight games. So it, it did come together towards the end of the season. Also, it's just like when we talk about regression too with these quarterbacks, and it's going to exist for Josh Allen, I mean, it's just really tough to run back being the QB1. Uh, over the past nine years, we've had eight different quarterbacks pace the position in scoring. The last time a QB1 was overall back-to-back seasons was Drew Brees uh, in 2011 to 2012. Um, and the last time a guy was a QB one in points per game level was Dante Culpepper in 2003, 2004. It's just really hard to repeat its position. It's a tightly packed position. Uh, any type of regression or any type of missed time is going to move you off of that. Uh, and then you just look at the circumstances that happened with some of this regression. We talked about the offensive line. You Marshall Yonder retires. Ronnie Stanley played in just six games. He had the ACL injury. That's two high-level offensive linemen. You're out. Uh, he went from being pressured on 19.9% of his dropbacks in 2019 when he was the MVP to thirty last season his sack rate went from five and a half percent to seven point two percent you're going to get stanley back this year you add kevin zietler uh on a contract uh matt Skirra left for via free agency he was one of the worst centers in the league uh dj right. fluker allowed a pressure on 10.2 percent of his blocking snaps last year is the highest rate in the league amongst all tackles last season he's gone off the team so the offensive line's better uh You get Rashad Bateman, a former four-star recruit in the first round. You still have Marquise Brown. You have Mark Andrews. You had Tylan Wallace. Uh, this is all uh, positive singles signals here. We can, we, I, I won't just go long with here. We'll, we'll let you chime into about the passing rate things. Everyone's going to want to talk about this. Cause it's all everyone Twitter has been talking about. Uh, <laughs> yeah. but, uh, you know, the, the signal here is, is that they want to get Lamar Jackson and maximize Lamar Jackson the most. And I, I mean, all these moves just signal to me, like, this is a Lamar Jackson, big time bounce back season. The runway is there for him uh and then we can kind of steer this into the the conversation that everyone wants to hear the official takes on of how much and is are the ravens going to throw this year
2: yeah i, I know that's <laughs> the thing that everybody wants to know about if it's going to be more because they've already been talking about when they, they add in the wide receivers i mean we didn't even talk about like sammy watkins but i mean yeah. they, they they add in they add in like you know galaxy brain sammy uh they also uh they bring in like bateman they bring in wallace I mean, but like you mentioned, I mean, the regression that we expected came. And then, of course, everybody on top of the expectation that they were going to regress, everybody got upset about the regression that we knew was coming. Mm -hmm. I mean, drops from like a 9% like uh, TD rate in 2019 to 6.9%, which is still well above league average. (laughs) And so it's like, what what were we expecting, guys? I mean, so that was kind of my, that's kind of my frustration with the, I guess the outlook for the entire Baltimore offense, but it's not like I'm expecting them to completely kick up their neutral passing rate. I know they're what bottom two, or if not like dead last in terms of neutral passing and also red zone passing rate. That's not my expectation. My expectation though, would be that they at least be more efficient with their passes. I would, uh, I did a quick study uh, for a piece for Roto... I'm still going to call it Roto-World. I don't even care. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, I mean, I did a quick study for, uh, for Roto-World like shortly after day three, and the wide receivers that they wound up selecting, both in uh, in Bateman and Wallace... Uh, where they went on the field is actually where uh, like where Lamar Jackson was most inefficient from an EPA per play standpoint uh, Jackson was most efficient on some of those intermediate routes so like your out routes your curls your digs like something like that uh, but I looked at that and combined that with some uh, early research that Matt Harmon had done for reception perception and that's exactly where both of those guys win I mean those out routes those curl I mean those dig routes that we like guys like Marquise Brown as small as he is, I mean he's not going to win on some of those routes. Like you want him to be more that that deep threat from the speed, uh, his ability to separate, that's where you'd want Marquise Brown to win. But they didn't have a big bodied guy to work some of those intermediate areas of the field. And so now with either of those guys, that just makes the offense more efficient. They don't have to pass more for Lamar Jackson to be like that QB1. Like, they don't have to be like the Buffalo Bills in order to do it. They just need to be more efficient. And so my take on it is that they added the wide receivers that will allow them to be more efficient of an offense. And so I don't care what their neutral passing rate is. I just think they have the pieces in place to just become, at least be able to get back to where they were at, similarly to the 2019 standpoint from where they are from an offensive yards per drive standpoint. I mean, we're not, I'm not assuming that, Uh, Lamar Jackson is going to become Russell Wilson in terms of passing touchdowns, but from a fantasy, uh, fantasy perspective, Lamar Jackson can get back to that QB one status that we knew he could be like when he came into league back in 2018.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And like most things on, uh, you know, fantasy football, Twitter, uh, there's no nuance anymore. It's all about the, you know, taking the black or white approach and, you know, someone will say like, you know, cause what's going to happen is like, say Lamar throws like three touchdowns, like week one. Uh, there's going to be a tweet out there. It's going to be like, well, someone told me the Ravens weren't going to throw this year. Like, you know, it's, it's exactly what's going to happen. But when you look at this in totality, both sides are correct. The Ravens are absolutely going to throw the football more this year. And they're still probably going to be in the bottom half of the league in pass attempts. Like, like you said, but the, the, the reason that it matters, though, is like you said, is they're, gonna increase their efficiency rational coaching doesn't remove and neuter the best trait of your best player which happens to be lamar jackson and what he provides mobility you accentuate it you accentuate it like you, you make it better you highlight it you, you make lamar jackson the best player he can be and that's what they're doing like you said by getting him targets that can win more on the types of routes that they've been unsuccessful with the guys like willie sneed and Miles boykin uh they've been unsuccessful with um i do hope from just like a, a top-down view of of them offensive approach that, that allows them just to be more aggressive on first downs. I mean, you look at the uh, last year where Lamar in this offense really got hurt was just the predictability factor. I mean, just 35.6% of his attempts came on first down. That was 37th in the NFL, but he averaged 8.2 yards per attempt on those passes. Huh. Uh of his passes came on non-first down plays needing seven or more yards, a fifth-highest rate in the league, and he averaged only seven yards per attempt on those passes. Lamar Jackson, we know. We don't have to have the argument of is Lamar Jackson an effective NFL passer, can he be? We've already been proven he can, but when you put a player like Lamar Jackson in a situation where he has to punch out passing – we know that's where he kind of gets hurt a little bit. And the Ravens put him consistently in those positions last year. And just not being as predictable, uh, adding efficiency, those are things um, that this offense really kind of you know highlighted. And I think that they made the right personnel choices this season to not only maximize Lamar Jackson, but obviously their team in totality. But it does make me like Lamar Jackson more than the individual pieces. I was really high on Baton coming in. I do think that is, is destination-wise, It's not as good as some other places he could have gone. Does that make me think that he's not a good player by any means? No, it doesn't. But I'm still more in love with Lamar Jackson here than elevating any of the other players and saying they're going to throw the ball more and have increased efficiency. It makes me like Lamar Jackson more.
2: No, and I think that's the way that we should be approaching like mobile quarterbacks because we know that from a week-to-week standpoint, like the volatility associated with their scoring, we know that it's probably going to come from Lamar. Like most of their production is going to come from Lamar, almost in the same way that I'm, I'm viewing like Jalen Hurts like this, this season. Right. Like we know that Jalen Hurts is going to rush the ball, and from what we saw, I mean, he can have those 300-yard passing games with a couple of touchdowns, or they could be 100-yard passing games and two rushing touchdowns, but all of the value is connected to the quarterback, so, I'd much rather just invest in the quarterback, regardless of almost like agnostic of ADP, versus trying to figure out, like, well, which pieces of that passing game are going to be useful. Maybe. The only one that I might, uh, I guess the only two that I might, would be possibly like Marquise Brown, like, just because of where he's going at in terms of ADP, but then also Mark Andrews. But I want to get your take on Hollywood Brown first. I mean, do we see, even with the additions <clears throat> to the passing game, I mean, Bateman, Wallace, Sammy Watkins, I mean, do we see still a path for Marquise Brown still being at least, let's say, a viable wide receiver too in terms of fantasy production? Because I know even last year, I mean, it took him essentially scoring a touchdown per game, like down the stretch, in mm-hmm. order for him to even to break into the top twenty-four ranks. But do you see at least more like a better path for him uh, being in that wide receiver two conversation next season? I'm a little
0: concerned just based on the uh, of the target share. Now, like, I think that we have to project his his target share to kind of come down the most. I mean, in terms of wide receiver targets, league-wide wide receiver targets, he accounted for 45.3% of the Ravens' wide receiver targets. That was the second highest wide receiver share at his position outside of Devontae Adams, who was at 51.2%. Uh, you know, the next highest wide receiver targeted on the Ravens was Willie Sneed at 48 looks. Like, we're just talking about when you're talking about adding Sammy Watkins, Rashad Bateman, There's just they're going to close the gap. That, that gap is just going to be closed. So that's kind of the problem I have. Now, that said... Wide receiver 45 the past week in FFPC drafts. It's hard to have any pushback at that cost because when you get to that point of your draft, you really shouldn't be focusing on the negative players, just the, the negative uh, uh, aspects of a player, just the pros. You know, I mean, he's just a year three wide receiver. Uh, he's been productive two years in the league. He's capable of spike weeks. Like, those are all the things you kind of really should care about. You, you don't need to be tearing down guys with his ADP. There's a reason his ADP is already there. Uh, we tend to do that a lot with guys too, by the way. But, you know... Uh, yeah i'm a little concerned about the target share though uh but definitely i think that you know he's been a productive player and he's kind of shown all the things we thought he was going to be in the nfl it's just if he can sustain that you know kind of uh target share in the field i'm a little still higher on mark andrews just because for the reasons we just talked about Lamar jackson we knew the regression was coming you know like we knew like mark we knew that mark andrews was going to Probably have the efficiency that he had last season. We are double counting it now. Uh, you know, it, it's a bummer because he finally became a full time player. It was the first mm-hmm. time we got this. We, Mark Andrews finally became a full time player. He played sixty six percent of the Raven snaps per game last year. After thirty two percent per game as a rookie, forty four percent per game in twenty nineteen. Um, just like I said, he fell fell victim to the regression we thought was going to happen. You know, uh, you your touch when your touchdown rate is at ten point two percent, it's probably going to drop, and it, it, it was still seven point nine. percent like you said it dropped and it was still above you know you know league rate uh he was still a good player it's just the expectations we had for him were so much higher than what he actually produced um the 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 volume thing is probably just going to be the 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 one bugaboo especially compared to the guys that have kind of crept into his area this year you know last year he was like locked in to be the guy behind Kittle and Waller and me, sometimes even ahead of Waller at that time. Uh, but now that those guys are just going to have, you know, a lot, lot higher target share. We know um, that they're kind of, you know, ceiling output per town of talent level is higher, but now we've got guys like Kyle Pitts and TJ Hawkinson who are threatening his volume levels. Uh, So that's why you kind of see him slide a little bit. Uh, But we've seen Andrews, you know, towards the end of the season, too. He was a guy like Hollywood, finished the season strong, uh, 30 catches, 400 yards, two touchdowns over his final six games, got it going. Um, But like I said, I'm still in on him because I just think that we overweighted something we thought that we had a pretty good idea was going to happen last year. And it did happen uh, that we're overweighting it now.
2: Yeah, which is kind of it's funny to me that the same things that most folks were doing from a draft perspective last year you can do the same thing this year but almost like a round cheaper like last year in ffpc leagues you could probably you'd probably have to do the lamar mark andrews stack at like the two three turn mm-hmm. you can do the same thing at like the four five turn now and now it even harness like more value because you're not really sacrificing a ton of opportunity cost but you can still wind up with a very viable stack regardless of if it's you know casual leagues or if you want to like throw a dart at the best ball mania tournament that's going on right now. I mean, it's a much more affordable stack, but we still can harness most of the value out of an offense that we know can be good.
0: Yeah. And we still know from Andrews, even with him, him, his touchdown rate dropping, like the touchdowns were still there in totality. And this is a guy at a position that's driven by touchdowns. Like we know that he still has that. If you're betting on guys, we're ranking guys based on like odds to have double digit receiving touchdowns. He would probably be second or third like as we're going down the position. Right. So yeah uh, yeah, I mean, I, I'm
2: all for taking the the dip that you're getting on Mark Andrews this season. So we'll have to flip from the uh, the passing game over to the running game outside of Lamar. I mean, we've got Dobbins going in like the second or third round. We've got Gus Edwards now going in the eighth, ninth round, like somewhere in there, with his ADP kind of climbing up because of the extension news. I mean, where are you at on either of these guys? Because I've been f- I've been focusing more on Gus just because of the pos- like the leverage that the we ADP, get yeah. given yeah given the production that we know he's going to have within that offense like. Dobbins as a talent aside we just know that that offense at least from a rushing standpoint is going to be spearheaded by the quarterback and we know that Gus Edwards is at least a viable has at least viable standalone value on a week-to-week basis so I've been avoiding Dobbins at his ADP is that the way you've been approaching it?
0: Yeah, just more in totality of the way I play, uh, you know, more by the time Dobbins comes up, I'm already usually into the receivers. And this is, you know, even for a redraft stance, uh, I'm into the receivers at that point. Uh, the interesting things we talked about is that, you know, there's this twitter contingency that says hey you guys are all wrong the ravens are clearly going to throw more and then oddly enough that same contingency is like screw jk dobbins he's gonna catch any passes uh it's it's (laughs) it's always it's always something man it's always something uh but i mean i do think it's gonna be a kind of a it's not gonna be a full split i think it's gonna be similar like it was to end last year i mean dobbins had single digit touches uh in each of the team games opening the five games then he goes he goes and his double digit tuck at double-digit touches 11 of the final 12 games but even during that spike in opportunity he reached 15 touches just three games all season and that's kind of like the ballpark where we're still going to be with Dobbins um it's probably going to be in like that you know 13 to 17 touch range per game, even with like an increase. Gus Edwards is still going to be around. Uh, Gus Edwards, you said from an ADP stance, he fits. I think he definitely fits more in these best ball leagues too. I think when we get to actual August, he's going to be a tough guy to draft though, um, because he's not going to have any standalone value. Like we talked about with Kareem Hunt, like having some, uh, he really has no, no standalone value, even getting his touches per game. Like the, those touches, like he did, he's, he didn't give you anything viable on a weekly week basis, even some games with a touchdown. Uh, you didn't get anything usable for fantasy. I mean, this is a guy that we just really can't project to have a lot of catches either. Even if they do throw more 18 career catches, doesn't really fit that archetype. Um, You know, he is, he is just five career, uh, double digit PPR games and games without scoring a touchdown. So he's going to have to run into a lot of value. So I think he's going to be tough to click the button on when we get to August and he's going to be more of a, where he's going to be more of a roster paperweight. I think, uh, you're never going to want to start him and you're not going to want to cut him because he's attached to a, a, a really good offense that if he got the job, he would be usable. Right. So you're mm-hmm. not going to cut him like those guys are always problematic, especially early in the season when you take in drafts, like those guys tend to find their way on the waiver wires. Um, or they just sink rosters all year. You think like a guy like Alexander Madison, you're just waiting to start him, waiting to start him. And then when he finally gets the job, he's not even used the same way as Dalvin Cook. They're bringing in a third down back. You know, it's it's not the same usage. It's Daryl Henderson. Uh, That's who it is. It's Daryl <laughs> Henderson. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, I mean, I, I think when we get to August, I have a tough time drafting Gus Edwards. Uh, I, I mean, I love J.K. Dobbins as a player. Uh, I just think that when you get to the point of the drafts where he comes up, I'm more focused on wide receivers. I think even some running backs are better touch bets than him. And then you have the mobility factor that we talked about. Uh, Even with having Lamar Jackson, he's going to take away some of those natural targets that a running back would get as a check down. And Lamar is going to take some of these rushing touchdowns as some of his own as well, which is a problem. Uh, But, you know, he's always going to lure you in because the efficiency is going to be there for Dobbins. And we've seen it with Gus Edwards as well. Uh, and, and we'll see it with Miles Sanders, you know, this season, like he, the, you know, when Miles Sanders played at Jalen Hurts, like you play with this type of quarterback, this archetype type of quarterback efficient, they breed efficiency, but they also reduce the, the money touches, the receptions mm-hmm. and the goal line touches, which always stings as well. Um, but yeah, that's kind of where I've been at too, with those guys.
2: Yeah. Cause I think when, <laughs> if I'm looking at some of the guys that are going similarly, uh, from a running back perspective in ADP I mean give me Chris Carson that's going shortly after JK Dobbins cuz I can at least see a path to at least him having more of those money touches like we were t- that we were talking about I mean Miles Sanders like you were mentioning uh I I still see the same risk profile because he's attached mm-hmm. to a volatile quarterback like Jalen Hurts but it's just like for JK Dobbins I mean the the production like while we know it can be efficient he's still going to be attached to an offense where Gus Edwards is still going to be a large part of that offense. Lamar Jackson is still going to get his. I mean, it's easier for me to switch tracks and start looking at the wide receivers that are going in that same range. So if we're talking about, I mean, it's Michael Thomas, Keenan Allen, and Amari Cooper that are around him in, in that same range. I will yeah. take J.K. Dobbins <laughs> like 10 times out of 10. Th- I will take uh, the, the wide receivers over J.K. Right. Dobbins like 10 times out of 10. I mean, it's a no-brainer yeah. at that point.
0: Yeah, guys that are going to get 125 plus targets, uh, yeah, pretty <laughs> pretty easy game there. Yeah, I think that's, that's an easy
2: selection for me at that point. So, I mean, Rich, I mean, thank you so much for your time. I mean, it has been an absolute blast, like finally getting a chance to sit down and talk with you, cover the AFC North. Uh, before we get you on out of here, I mean, the floor is yours. Tell us about some of the work that you're doing over at Sharp Football, anything that you've got going on throughout the rest of the off season and uh, where we can find you out on Twitter. Yes, yeah, so if you go to Sharp Football Analysis, uh, everything I've done so far
0: this offseason, there's no paywall or anything like that. Everything's just open to the public. It's even got all my rankings and even why those players are ranked there. That's all, all up there. And I've done already um, a little – I've done, about, I think, about 65 articles, fantasy articles so far this season. We're in this little dead period here, so I've been focused more on, like, individual player stuff uh, before we ramp up and get to, like, the top-down, like, how to play fantasy stuff, which I always like to do in the summertime. Uh, so there are some individual player articles that are just guys I think that are interesting. Uh, you know, they have a, a conversation to be had around them. Guys like Clyde Richelair, Jalen Hurts, to, uh, Michael Thomas that we just mentioned too. Like those guys all I think have inter- interesting conversation points. So I wrote up some individual articles on those guys that are kind of a deeper dive. Uh, you can find all that stuff, uh, there for free, uh, at Lord Reeves, at Twitter. Um, then just, that's, that's it basically. I mean, just. I'm glad that we got a chance to do this. We've been trying to do it for a while. Uh, We haven't met even though we're not far away in life destination, even though everyone was far away the past year. Uh, So hopefully I get a chance to hook up with you in person uh, in August in Canton, and then we can make that happen.
2: Oh, absolutely! I I will 100 percent be on the lookout for, for for like for you. I know that uh, our mutual friend John Daigle should also be in town. So for the, the uh, f- I know I'll be there for the Kings Classic draft that'll be happening there on Saturday morning. So we'll definitely have to connect at some point. But uh, for for Brandon uh, for Brandon myself, you can find me on Twitter at Chris Allen FFWX. We appreciate Rich taking his time in order to talk with us today, and we'll catch you all next week.